0: Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and episode 27 featuring our Cakes and book club this month discussing The Loosening Skin by Alia Whiteley published by Unsung Stories.
1: Yeah, so this is a brand new thing that we're going to be doing for 2019. Every month we're going to pick a book. Usually it's going to be genre fiction, could be sci-fi, fancy, horror something that has really taken our fancy and intrigued us. And we're going to be announcing at the start of each month what the book's going to be. Hopefully some of you might be intrigued to pick it up, have a read, let us know what you think about it. And then at the end of the month, we're going to be putting up a podcast where we discuss the book and talk about some of the comments that we've had in.
0: So to kick off, we're going to be uh, discussing our thoughts in general about the book, going into mild spoiler territory. And then uh, we were really lucky to have the chance to interview Alia Whiteley to discuss her work on the novel and her writing career as well and after that we'll be closing with a slightly more spoilery discussion which is probably best suited to those who have actually read the novel but we do hope that by listening to this um, you might come across a book that you may just want to pick up and read along and you can always listen to the podcast later but if you do want to sort of engage with it you know follow us and at the beginning of the month we'll announce our upcoming choice um, and we'd love recommendations as well if there's something that you've read that you'd like us to cover at the end of the month we'll put the podcast up and carry on the cycle and hopefully it'll sort of get you maybe reading some things that you hadn't heard of before uh, maybe things you have read before but it would just be fun as well because uh, we do a lot of reading and it'll be fun to share some of the things we're reading with all of our listeners
1: so the loosening skin is a would you call it speculative fiction science fiction kind weird of weird like, fiction weird fiction <laughs> Uh, where it's our world, but with one big change in the way that people are, which is that roughly once every seven years, human beings shed their skin, and when they lose their skin, along with it they lose elements of their personality, and the, and the person that they used to be. So they still have their memories; they still are the same person in essence, but Their personality changes, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in very dramatic ways. And the skin that's left behind contains emotions and memories from the life that they led while they were wearing it. So there are two main characters in the book, one of whom is more prominent in the first half of the book, the other more prominent in the second half. Really, I suppose you would say that Rose herself is the protagonist. When we first meet her, she's working as a bodyguard, for a very famous film star and is also having a secret relationship with him. But Rose is someone who sheds her skin far more often than every seven years and when she does, she has a very dramatic change in her personality and as with many other people when they shed their skin, you also shed some of the feelings that you had about the relationships that you were in and in particular people very often fall out of love after they shed their skin so she's someone who changes very often and very dramatically and tends to make huge changes in her life every time that this happens to her so although she's currently a bodyguard she's been in the military she's a private investigator she works in a shop she has so many different versions of herself that we see reflected through the book as it continues
0: yeah what i loved about it is it's kind of very classic kind of high concept novel as well but it's ruthlessly efficient it's not a very long novel Mm. and i often find that something that can be quite punchy it either it either grabs you or you just kind of can't wait to sort of get rid of it almost because you either get taken in by the premise or not and i think Mm. what's really nice is that you know it is a high concept story but a lot is packed into it. It's got, you know, not a huge number of characters, but those that are there are are very distinct. They're very well drawn. There's so much where it's kind of all in these little moments, these little details, these subtle descriptions of how characters behave. And the fact that, you know, all the characters have both sympathetic and unsympathetic traits mm. uh, and ones which are affected by the malts that happen as well. You just get a sense that you know, you're dipping into these characters over a prolonged period of time. And you just feel that you're able to get a sense of not just these characters as individuals at a specific point in the story, but you can kind of see how they evolve with each of these molts. It's always the same character you're, you're interacting with, even though there are significant changes that might take place in their personality, their feelings, all these things very well captured. But to have all these different changes and keep them quite, quite distinct, I think, is a, is a really uh, clever aspect of the story.
1: Personally, I really like science fiction or speculative fiction or fantasy or, or indeed any of those kind of books where the narrative is focused very tightly on a particular character. Um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the, the kind of narrative flourishes to it in a bit, but to the extent that much of it is so personal to their character and their experience that throughout it all you get these wonderful glimpses of the wider world and the way that the wider world is altered by the fact that this happens so you know in a world where this was something normal that that human beings went through how would that affect the whole of society how would that affect the way that people live with one another how would it affect commerce how would it affect crime you know, how would people exploit it? How would people cope with it? You see this in these kind of snatched glimpses of the world that Rose is moving through, but in a way that leaves you knowing that there is so much more behind the wall in the next house or across the street or that, you know, it gives you enough detail to feel this is a really rich world, but without ever over explaining everything um you know what i mean some some books can sometimes go too heavy in the yeah in in a sort of world building exposition dump that slows things down but this is a very kind of tautly written book it really zips along but i just love those flourishes that make you stop and think god i wonder what's actually going to happen to those characters and and how does that whole thing that they're involved in work and it, it it leaves you imagining these things rather than simply being told in great detail what's happening all the time
0: yes yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation because I found that as I was reading it, I think I was probably getting a lot more from it than was actually on the page, so it did it races along. I know we keep saying that, but it really is a very punchy novel where you know you just ultimately are getting glimpses of the world, but it is a very character driven story mm. and yet. Like you say, you do get a feeling for what the whole world is like. And the fact that that's threaded throughout the whole story means there aren't these stop start moments that you can sometimes find where an author kind of stops to delve into some aspect of the world or introduces subplots or minor characters who are there simply to uh, sort of introduce a, you know, a concept or idea or even just an idea that maybe is in the author's head and isn't relevant to the story, but one they felt was an integral part of the world. There are so many aspects of this story where, like you say, I think you come away knowing a lot more about this alternate version of of where we are than is actually written down. But it's all the richer for it because it's all being driven by by the characters. And I think you have to do that when you're trying to tell a really interesting story it's always about the characters you know there is a lot of conflict that takes place between them but it's not just lots of exposition and conversations about the world they're in those are just things that you get a sense of from the way the characters behave and some of the descriptions they make Um, even the subtleties of these little interactions between characters that give you a sense of The complexities that must exist in a world where this molting phenomenon takes place. The thing that first got me thinking about that was the scene where Rose goes to visit her aunt. Mm. A normal interaction between a niece and her aunt or whatever, albeit slightly fractured by the relationship that Rose had with her mother and the fact that her mother kept her first molting skin and things like that i mean all these things are well if you took it out of this world i think those same interactions would work perfectly well Mm. you know that you know the way in which somebody relates to a parent relates to an uncle or aunt who has essentially acted as a surrogate in some way for a parental figure the kind of conflict that takes place just between people It's nice that those things still exist in this world, but the details that that's used to explore, such as the first descriptions we get of the way in which one's emotions change, the way in which, I think it's one of the first times where they talk about the idea of love being a sort of multifactorial thing and something that you can look at from different perspectives. It's just a nice way that they use a, you know, a family scene to kind of bring this aspect of the world to the forefront You know this idea of the bond that exists and how and how the bond between a parent and child is something which does to some extent behave in a different way to the love or lust or other aspects of what love is that that might permeate your life as you go along I think but I just love the fact that there are these moments where you just find out about what is going on through these little subtle character moments that elevate it from being a normal sort of straight fiction novel to suddenly being very clear why this is something that you could classify as, you know, as speculative or weird fiction because it throws these things in, but they don't jar at all. It just feels like you're already in the world and you take it for granted and no one's doing anything particularly out of character or responding in any way that we in our world would respond. They're all just reacting to things in the world that they've always known and existed in.
1: So the main driver of the plot is that Rose is contacted sometime after her relationship with the film star Max Black ended after she uh, malted and left her job as a bodyguard. He contacts her because there's been a burglary at his mansion and all of the old skins of his that he kept... In a temperature controlled vault because he's loaded and that's what rich people do in this world um they've all been stolen and he's terrified about what might happen to them are they going to end up on the black market are people going to buy them because these skins have memory and emotion and, and sort of power to them and you know incredibly personal things are bound up in them that you wouldn't want other people to be able to access simply by touching them so Even though their relationship is over and Rose has moved on to her new life again, which she does multiple times over the years, she gets pulled back into his orbit because he doesn't know who to trust in investigating this. He worries it's an inside job pulled by someone who works for him or is in his inner circle. So he wants her to find out What's going on? Who took the skins? What's happened to them? Can they get them back? And she eventually reluctantly agrees to do this for him. So at the heart of the story, it's being driven by a mystery. And so parts of it unfold like a thriller. But it's done in a very clever way because pretty much every chapter jumps back and forth in time in Rose's life and and later on it changes substantially again which we'll get to but as it does so the narrative style of it changes so there are parts of her life that are written in the first person and then other chapters about different periods in her life which are written in the third person as if she herself is remembering them or describing them as if she was another person because to a great extent she was another person back then it it was a different version of her that lived those experiences
0: yeah I like the idea that there's so much allegory in this novel for the way that people live grow up move on in their lives and this whole idea of you know wishing that you could sometimes have a clean break from things Mm. you know there is an awful almost twilight zone element of you know (laughs) what if you actually had that chance what if you could literally shed that skin and get rid of everything associated with your life up to a certain point you know this kind of be careful what you wish for kind of story but it doesn't go down that road because this is obviously the the normal way things are but the fact that we have insight into a world where this molting takes place I think it's really clever that as a reader you're kind of following the story of Rose who is mainly because she has this heightened rate of molting as well she's forced to confront it more frequently and it means that I think as a reader you're thinking what would it be like in that situation but we're following a character who is addressing that issue specifically because she has to molt so frequently which means that you get to explore that whole idea and actually what it means and and there are moments when you can really get a sense of the tremendous loss that she feels in certain instances, the relief she feels in other moments, and also the idea that the relationships we have with those around us are extremely complicated, and they all have many layers to them. And the fact she has long-running relationships and interactions with certain characters I think is really interesting, because they often largely stay the same, and it's her interactions with them which are most telling about the passage of time and the changes within her most of all but you don't have to have her constantly explaining that she has malted and we've changed to a different part of the story or a different mm. moment in time you really get a sense from the writing that her perspective has changed her viewpoint has changed and they're subtle aspects but you really get a sense of uh of this character and the trajectory that she's on over the course of the novel
1: so there are a couple of things I really liked about the way it reflects our contemporary society in, in the way that skins are treated in, in this alternate version mm-hmm. of the world. Um, one is the desire to medicalize and medicate everything. So um, at one point it suggested to her that she might have a syndrome that is causing her to Molt, um more frequently mm. than most people do and you know it's this desire for some people to give everything a name and be able to understand it and therefore feel like they can change it mm. and it's as if some of the people around her don't think that she could possibly be all right with being the person that she is with being someone who changes so mm. frequently and then you've got this new drug that starts to come onto the market called I think that's how you pronounce it, um, which has the potential to halt, possibly permanently, the act of actually shedding your skin so that you could, in theory, stay the same person for your whole life. If I suppose if you decided that you liked the person that you were and you didn't want to change, or that you were so in love with someone that you didn't want to lose those feelings for them. And the, the, the promise that this has to really revolutionised the way that people in that world would live which you know some people would be utterly delighted with and other people would be utterly horrified by changing something that everyone had been used to being a part of their lives.
0: Mm, I like the way it stays away actually from going too far down the well what could turn into this kind of I don't know what the term is for the genre, but some kind of Michael Crichton-style medical Hmm. thriller kind of element. It doesn't go into details that would ultimately bore you. You don't need to know all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, you're seeing the complexity of this physiological condition through regular people. And that's what I like about it. These are just... It's just a thing that happens. And I like your description of it in terms of people want to put labels on things. They want to try and understand or categorize things in such a way that they can explain potentially how, at least for themselves, they can reconcile why somebody else is happy with the situation they're in if they mm. don't agree with it. So it does bring up these wonderful discussions. But again, it's from a very human perspective, rather than an overly descriptive, scientific or medical one, which um, I think is a really nice way of handling this issue as well. What do you think about the structure, though? This idea that you mentioned of the story jumping around in time as well—did you find that sort of easy to follow? Do you think it helped, or would you have preferred it as a as a more straightforward narrative?
1: The first sort of three or four chapters, I found it a little jarring because I hadn't yet realised what the purpose of it was within <laughs> the narrative. You know, it's, it's, sometimes you get a book that jumps around a lot because to be honest there's not a lot else going on in the story Mm. but as you go through this you you realize the purpose in doing this to unfold aspects of Rose's life and her personality it's not just a narrative trick to disguise events or hide things from the reader It, it serves a more a deeper purpose than that because you really start to understand the tension between who's you know, who Rose is now, who she used to be, how one impacts the other, and how, you know, she is a, a sort of jigsaw of the person that she is now and the skin she is now, with the memories of all the people that she used to be in the and the other lives that she's lived. Mm. And yet all of those things make up one whole person in the same way that all of these jumps in time make up one whole story. Mm.
0: That's, yeah, I think, I think that's a really nice way of describing it because, again, I was a little concerned at the beginning that it would just become a gimmick where they've taken a story and they've shuffled it around to kind of make it more interesting than it is. What I love is that that's a great way of having a plot that does move forward but allows you to learn about aspects of the character when they become relevant to the story, but also at, at specific moments when... A character might reflect on a past event. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of getting into the head of a character because it's not like they are constantly trying to put their current experience into the context of their past. It's often that at a certain point something triggers a memory or something makes it relevant for them to start thinking about a specific event and the beauty here is that the past of a character like Rose is one that's almost not linearly related to where she is now. Mm. It's it's like it's a, it's a fractured version of a past self of hers because a malt might have taken place that has changed her perspective, her way of life, all these different things. And yet you don't feel like it's different characters. It almost is providing a wonderful insight into the complexity of having to deal with a physiologically fractured past. Mm. It's just the way things have to have to happen. And the fact that everyone's sympathetic to it, because everyone goes through it, makes it, again, an easy thing to follow. And also a chance to explore these issues of how, when you do have certain characters who meet at various points through their lives, often with several malts having taken place, It's just nice to see how the arcs of these characters evolve in light of that added complexity of having potentially shed all the emotional attachment to the other person. Um, And then sometimes the fact that although they talk about the fact that everything is in the skin, there is a lot more going on that exists. And that's something which is almost a subtext throughout the whole existence that these characters are in. It's very easy to put down your behavior to the skin you're in, but actually there's a lot more going on. And I think it's interesting that they do explore that a lot.
1: So one of the other ways this world reflects ours is with the uh, the media obsession hmm. that exists with these six individuals called the Stuck Six. Hmm. And when Rose gets pulled back into Max's world, he's moved from acting into directing because what he really wants to do is direct (laughs) and he's directing a film about the stuck six and these are six people who for a brief overlapping period of time were all in love with one another and the media was obsessed with them in the same way that you get now with reality tv stars they didn't do anything they just were and everyone talked about them and photographed them and gossiped about them and Towards the end of the book, we get the other viewpoint character, in addition to Rose, who is Mickey, who is one of the Stuck Six. And it's interesting because you, you then get a reflection on this world and how it functions through the lens of someone who has got a very different take on it and a very different experience of shedding their skin and what it's like and how their relationships go afterwards than Rose does. What, what did you make of the sudden change sort of two thirds of the way in?
0: First thing I would say is I did not expect it <laughs> at all. So uh, the novel is divided up into four parts and as you approach the end of the second part you can see that we're reaching an important sort of moment in Rose's arc and one which essentially brings a lot of her story seemingly to a... to um some kind of resolution, not a conclusion, but there's, you know, things that start to tie up involving her interactions with characters like Max and Petra, and we'll discuss a little bit more uh, later on when we go into more spoiler territory. Then the part three begins, and we're from Mickey's perspective. What helps the transition is the fact that uh, we've heard of the Stuck Six before. Mm. I just didn't realise it was going to go in that direction. But what I loved was actually the change in tone is something that's probably quite fitting for a book that involves the concept of shedding your skin and how that affects your involvement with the characters in your life around you. In this case, it feels like there's a sharp change um, in the tone of the book that reflects the sort of conceit behind it. Mm. And I think it gives us a chance to, like you say, explore this world from a different perspective and actually comment on other things as well it's no longer a detective thriller kind of story which we see in the first half it becomes more about yeah this idea of media obsession with sort of reality stars people who are elevated to a specific status with no discernible talent um, (laughs) other than something which allows the public to kind of fixate on and also it's always something which is fleeting And I think that's what's most interesting, the idea that you get a sense of not only how the public perceives the Stuck Six and their interest in it, but also the slight confusion that exists within members of the Stuck Six who are clearly dining out on the whole thing and encouraging the public interest in them. But they themselves have um, a more complex relationship that I think they would want the public to know or understand because they are not really it's a weird thing but i don't you know i don't get a sense that at any point they had the goal of becoming this this idolized group mm. you know this focus for uh, for the public it's just what's happened and how do you deal with that and i think it's an interesting contrast when you see that and you see how they would naturally have become a focal point for a character like Max as well who in the first half of the novel largely in his interactions with Rose is very much focused on trying to understand and somehow explore and become close to the idea of what love truly is Mm. and so you can see how that interest is piqued by um, a group like the Stuck Six and why he then ultimately chose to make a film about them
1: One thing I really like about those parts three and four, you get yet more changes in the narrative style to the point where there are a couple of chapters which are essentially a conversation between two characters and one of the characters is recording that conversation (laughs) using the microphone on their phone. And the chapter is written in script style, so it's literally the name of the person speaking and then what they say. As if it was a transcript of the recording. And it's this beautiful comparison of what it means to remember something and how something actually happened. Because here you have something that is almost a reproduction of an actual record of literally the things that people said in that conversation that can't be, you know, misremembered by whoever's thinking about it. And yet, beyond that, There is no context, there is no body language, there is no thought or emotion, everything is just there in the speech. Because all of those other things require contextualising through the thoughts and feelings of the characters who are there in that moment, and then later on looking back on them and reflecting on them, potentially in a very different way. So it's like having a record of a thing that happened can never really be a true record of the thing that happened because it can't capture how you felt. And you can never really truly recapture how you felt later on hmm. because everything is jumbled up with who you are now.
0: Do you have a preference for which half of the novel you preferred? And do you have any reasons why why you may have had that feeling for one one part over the other?
1: I think I did prefer the first half Potentially because, well, I really liked Rose as a character and this could simply be that because she was the character that the book led in with, that I was always going to have a stronger sense of her and feeling towards her than Mickey later on. I thought she was such a fascinating character and I could quite happily have kept reading more about her, but it was nice to have this counterpoint of an experience within the world but yeah, I yeah I do just really like Rose, yeah. basically. How about you?
0: No, I agree. I think I found she's a very rich character, one that you can really empathise with for all of her flaws as well. It's almost like you can feel you can feel her frustrations throughout the story. It takes a lot to have in such a short novel the chance to develop that much investment in a character, especially someone who changes quite drastically and whose narrative is broken up by jumping backwards and forwards in time as well you know it's a real feat to have a character written so well anyway but in the context of the structure I think it really helps and I think she's just somebody who you can identify with as you're looking into the world you always need that perspective on a new world and I like the fact that she is a character whom you can really get a sense of what it is like in this sort of alternate reality and especially in parts three and four I think her function changes and that really made me I think appreciate her character even more you realize this is all about perspective you shift from the first half where you're looking through Rose's eyes to the second where you're looking through Mickey's and yet when you start seeing how characters are looking other characters who we've met at different parts in the story through through different characters. It's not just about learning about specific people who we're following. It's the fact that we're able to get a sense of how all those different people are perceived by other people mm. as well. So it's a very rich way of building a huge amount of character depth when you're doing it in a in a novel like this.
1: So... Back when we announced that we were going to be talking about the loosening skin in our first episode, we invited people to send in their thoughts on the book if they'd read it. And we have a couple of comments from people that we're going to go through. The first one is from Chris Butler, who's a science fiction author. And this is what he sent us. The loosening skin takes place in an alternate reality where human beings shed their skin like snakes and in the process each person becomes, to varying degrees, a different person, reborn but separated from who they were before. That concept alone was enough for me to want to read this book. Within that world, Alia Whiteley tells a kind of detective story, or perhaps more accurately, two related stories. I was a bit thrown to see the main protagonist of the first half relegated to a minor role in the second half. But still, unlike a lot of other weird fiction writers, Whiteley has a strong sense of story and structure and knows how to build, to a satisfying ending. It's beautifully written, sparse but lyrical, and overall I thought the book was amazing.
0: Thanks Chris, completely agree with all of that, and it's nice that you uh, emphasised that there is such a strong sense of uh, story and structure in this novel, whilst also balancing a huge amount of character work with a small subset of characters.
1: And on that note, we were very fortunate recently to be able to have a chat with Ellie Whiteley about how she managed to do all of that and how the book came about, how she wrote it and also some of the other work that she's doing now. So uh, we're going to bring you that interview now and afterwards we're going to come back for a bit more of a spoilery discussion later on. So we're delighted to be joined now by Elia Whiteley, author of The Loosening Skin.
2: Hi, Elia. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for asking me to come along and say stuff. <laughs> Hopefully I say interesting stuff. That would be good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How did you first get into writing fiction, and in particular speculative fiction?
2: Um, I... I went to university to do a, a degree in theatre studies, actually. And um, while I was there, um, my tutor set up a creative writing group. And I thought, well, I'll give it a go. Um, and just absolutely fell in love with it from the first kind of attempt at writing anything. So at first I wrote um, stage plays because that was what I was studying at the time. And then I wrote really bad romantic novels for a bit just to try and get the idea of what I was doing and after that I wrote my first speculative fiction uh, like a a, yeah it's a novella it didn't really fit into any categories I didn't know what I was doing I just wanted to write something based on King Lear which was a really big influence on me at the time so I created a storyline that kind of fitted into the structure of King Lear but had elements of Jane Eyre and other speculative fiction things thrown into it and just created this really weird book um, called Mean Mode Median. Um, I got that published by a very small press and then changed to kind of writing comic crime novels for a while, and those got published by Macmillan. And then I thought, no, I really want to write uh, speculative fiction, um, sci-fi and horror sort of edged. Things in particular, so went and started doing that. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of roundabout, really. Done lots of, lots of offshoots, and whatever to get to the point where I am now, which I, I really love the kind of things that I write now, where I try really hard not to think about how you would categorize it, but just write a story that I love, and uh, luckily enough, sometimes find publishers who are prepared to kind of go along with that which is handy. So, yeah.
1: So your work over the last few years has been a real mix of novels, novellas, short stories. Is, is that, you know, like with not trying to pin down um, your writing style in a particular genre, does it also help to switch between all these different modes of writing in terms of how the story is going to fit? It's rare that I get an idea and I know
2: what length it's going to be or what exactly it's going to be. So I really enjoy the freedom of just starting to write it and stopping when I know that I'm I'm happy or it's done. Um, so whatever length that is, it's is fine by me. And that tends to be what I stick with doing, I'd say. So there's very little kind of uh, pre-planning that goes into anything very early on. I just get get a sense of an idea and a character in particular. And then I have a theme that I want to explore and then I just just go, so yeah. <laughs>
1: How would you describe The Loosening Skin to someone thinking of picking it up?
2: Yeah, that, I'm really bad at this sort of thing. <laughs> really bad at describing why you would why you would pick up one of these things that I write. But um, I think I would probably describe it as a detective story or two detective stories that come together that are actually an investigation of love and the self. So... Yeah, see, that sounds terrible, but that is probably what I would say. <laughs> so
1: within the book, you have two central characters. You've got Rose and you've got Mick. And yeah. it explores a lot of the relationships that are in the orbit of those characters. Um, yeah. Whether those are um, friendships, family relationships, um, romantic or sexual relationships. Yeah, And the way this world is distinguished from ours is the idea that every seven years, or potentially more or less than seven years, people shed their skin and with it they shed part of their personality and part of their feelings about their past relationships. Yes. And one of the most striking things about the book is the way you have jumps, not just back and forth in time and between Mm. perspectives, but also in the narrative style. Yeah. And the, the point of view that the chapters are written in, the narrative that the chapters are written in, Was that something that you planned to do right
2: from the beginning? Um, It was in the first draft, as far as I remember, yeah. I think I wrote Rose's first-person, present tense viewpoint first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote that all the way through, and then came back to it and filled in the the third person past sections in order to kind of, I really wanted to get at this idea that you, you create yourself from your experiences. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to object, her to be able to objectify those experiences by this distancing of the third person past tense, which we all associate with classic sort of storytelling in a way. Um, And hopefully that element helps both her and the reader to reflect on the past because we find out in a way that she's telling these stories about herself to herself at the end of her sort of section so um yeah and then then I wrote uh Mickey Stuck's section after that uh this kind of other character who who's on a parallel sort of journey and wanted to reflect on how you could get a really different personality but using the same techniques Mm. so that's why i mirrored it um to be this kind of first person present that's also third person past in different sections which makes it sound like there's a lot of structure going on which which there is and you know it was always a big worry to me throughout that it wouldn't it wouldn't it would feel cumbersome um but I was happy with the result at the end when I got to read it back and felt that it it did make sense, yeah, yeah, so that's the approach I was going for
1: so one of the things that I really liked about it was the the sense that the book itself was somehow shifting and shedding its own skin and changing its own personality as it moved around in time. Um, yeah, it felt very sort of thematically right for it to do that, along with yeah. the uh, personalities of these characters where it's 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 one whole book and it's it's a whole entity and yet it has so many different concepts of itself in the same way that these characters are one person and yet they have so many different concepts of who they used to be, who they are now, who they
2: might be in the yeah. future. Yeah, that is great to hear. Thank you because that's that's exactly what I was aiming for is this sense of building blocks that we put in place that makes a person, that make, that make a character. So it had to show sort of different facets but how we we use experiences, particularly sort of traumatic experiences, particularly for Rose, um, to become the person that we are. And so I hope by the end of the book it's quite clear that she's a very different person than she is throughout the the flashbacks, if you want to call them that, or um the past reminiscences. But that she's absolutely a product of those things that have happened to her, which is really what I was aiming for.
1: You mentioned that you wrote the sections with mickey later on yeah was it always the plan to have those
2: in the book no no i wrote rose as a complete novella really and then i uh passed it on to uh, my editor at unsung stories um he's called george sanderson and he read it through and said, yeah, it's really great. And I love it, but there's something missing. And I said, no, there isn't, because that's the kind of person I am. So we had like a couple of weeks of me going, no, th- no, there isn't. And him going, yeah, it just needs something. I don't know what it is, but there are stories left untold within this. So I sat down um, without much sort of hope and and started just kicking ideas about. It, and it really quickly became clear to me that Mickey Stuck was going to be um other element that the book was missing the mirror element if you will so um, and the stuck six then took on an extra importance so i went back through rose's section and just sort of put a bit more shading into those throughout her section and then the second section just came to life after that
1: so with the stuck six and the media's obsession with them Um, it seems to have echoes of almost the kind of fame-for-fame's-sake um, yeah. reality stars that we have now. Was there any particular example or idea from our current culture that, that led
2: into the creation of, of those characters? I had... To, as you say, there are lots of different examples that I had in mind um, of just... As you say, it's people that really... Maybe something like the Kardashians, almost, but... Mm. Um, It's not it's not exactly that. Maybe a very British version of the Kardashians, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, But also I had in mind, um, I I didn't even go back to it, but it was certainly hanging around in the back of my mind. There was a a thing in the 80s where a woman had eight babies. I think it was called the octuplets. And it was that kind of something that has grown organically that everybody's obsessed with that was very much in my in my mind, because in this world where you're shedding skins, the likelihood of six of you being really truly in love with each other in a powerful way all at the same time mm. just becomes so, so unusual, so special. And I could see that people would want that um, and would want to be part of it and to touch it. So, I, yeah, that was kind of playing around in there, I think.
1: And And, of course, you've got the the fact that this relationship, everyone would know that it was essentially doomed ultimately yeah, because everyone would expect that ultimately, one by one, they're going to shed their skin and, and change who they are. So it's, it's yeah. almost as if the media would have a, a built-in narrative just waiting and ready to go, almost like a, a bit, an obituary for their relationship ready to print as soon as it happens.
2: Yeah, everybody would have it written up, right, ready to do. It's just a case of waiting to see which one goes first. So in that respect, maybe it's sort of like the birth of royal babies as well. That kind of thing where, you know, everybody's just waiting for this thing to happen. And we know it's going to, but it has a tragic element for them as well. Although it's a perfectly normal part of their their life. Um, love comes with such emotional power as a device outside of what we're actually experiencing. You know, we come with these expectations and romantic ideals about love but love and romance are not the same thing so hopefully it explores that kind of gray area as well where the expectations of what people from the outside are thinking about the stuck sixes relationship plays a part in how they feel about it and afterwards with the kind of uh, dissection of it that happens um when there's they, they're six separate people again they're not in love anymore but they have to deal constantly with the press still wondering what they're doing, you know, how often they see each other. It's this terrible breakup on this national scale um, that's loaded with emotions that maybe they're and maybe not there for them. So, yeah, I really liked there's a whole element of mystery to do with that. And I felt like I was able to sort of explore their relationship, but only so much. And there's a lot left unsaid that I like about it and how they are together so, so I think some of the Stuxics don't even really feature in the book particularly you see them sort of once or twice but um, certainly some of the bits that I enjoyed writing the most was Mickey going to see people that he'd been in sort of this very intense relationship with and them having an idea of what it was there's nothing like his idea of what that relationship was so yeah you know there's just so much ground there that I could explore
1: one of the questions that it, it sort of leaves you hanging with is wondering to yourself, if you were in that world, would you want to take medication that would stop you shedding your skin? Or yeah. would you even want to take medication that would bring that upon yourself? Yeah, um, yeah. In, in in some ways, I mean, it's it, one of the comparisons that are made is to... Um, uh, the the doctor regenerating and whether or not they actually want to regenerate sure. even if they have to <laughs> um, you know yeah be- I don't want to go yeah yeah, yeah. Be- becoming <laughs> a different person and yet the same person because you still have all of your past experiences and past memories but you don't necessarily feel the same way about them anymore
2: mm, yeah
1: but actually even without the concept of shedding your skin that is still what people do throughout their lives that yeah you are the same person and yet a different person and the way that you think about the experiences of your past and not necessarily the way that you felt about them at the time.
2: Yeah, I was really hoping um, to to get a sense of that in the book, that the way you feel about your past self and about... I, I mean, this applies to us all, not just in a world where you might shed your skin, it's that we change over time and how we reflect on things that have happened before changes through time. And I think the answer of whether you take the pill to keep your skin and keep love and to keep yourself kind of intact in the sense that you are now i think that that too would change over time so it could be that you know you're madly in love you're in your 20s you you just want to be this one set thing forever right but maybe that that changes in your 40s i don't know so there's lots of different interesting questions about at what point in your life you might feel ready to move on and whether whether the pill would be a good thing in those circumstances or not. I really hope I haven't painted it sort of one one thing or another, it, apart from the fact it comes with these terrible side effects. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, there are there are difficult choices to make around it as to whether it's right for you at that time or not. So, yeah.
1: So what are your plans for your next piece of work or any
2: works that are in progress now? Okay, so I've got... It's a book I, I wrote a few years ago called Skane Island, um, which is kind of a fantasy a look at gender and um, how we make narratives of our own lives. That's That has been published before. It was published by a very small press called Doghorn a couple of years ago, and they did a brilliant job of it, but to Titan have kind of said they want to publish it, so they're going to do that in November. And then I've got a new book coming out with Unsung Stories – who did The Loosening Skin, and that's going to be called Greensmith. And that's, um, it's comic sci-fi, which is, you know, filling my heart with dread. (laughs) But There you go, I wrote the thing, so let's publish it and see how it does. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited to get both of those projects out there. And then there are a few short stories and anthologies and things like that coming up as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a a fun year, hopefully.
1: And you mentioned earlier that you did uh, theatre studies at university. Have you got any plans to work in other media as well?
2: I'm always thinking about it, but every idea I have at the moment seems to end up coming back to um, the novel or novella or short story. Um, but I would love to get out there and explore a few a few more things again. But I do think that a lot of this stuff creeps into the novels anyway. Like there's a section in The Loosening Skin, which is really a, a script. And that appears again in, in, in Greensmith. So... I think it still does kind of creep in and influence me. Um, so, yeah, I'd never say never. I would love to to be a bit more varied and whatever. So hopefully, yeah.
1: Are there any other writers at the moment whose work you're excited about who you would recommend to
2: our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've read a few things recently that have been great, and I don't think they're out there yet. But um, it's really interesting is that... Um, There's a book called Snake Skins coming out uh, from a writer called Tim Major. And Titan are actually publishing that as well. Um, And it's about the idea, this really weird idea, that maybe you shed your skin every seven years. Uh, (laughs) Unbelievably, (laughs) yeah. So we, we talked about it and just totally independently came up with the same idea and sort of traced it back maybe to a TV programme we'd both seen about the way that you replace all of your body cells every seven years. So maybe that's that's what triggered it. But his is uh completely different like a sci-fi thriller very uh John windham-esque I really enjoyed that. So that's that's coming out soon. And um what else is there? There's Georgina Bruce's House of Wounds. I think it's called House of Wounds. It's gonna be a short story collection. Uh, I've I've read a couple of those and she's a wonderful writer. So really looking forward to that. Um, uh, Watershield refuse them by Lucy McKnight Hardy, that, I think that's coming out from dead ink, and um, that's set in um, the bad drought we had. I think was it was in 1976. I can't remember what year it was. Anyway, the, it's a family in Wales during this drought, um, and it has a great witchcraft kind of edge to it. So the, yeah, that's a bit sort of folk horror which I love. So yeah, those are definitely all worth watching out for. Well,
1: thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful talking to you.
2: Thank you. No,
1: I really enjoyed it. If people want to follow you on social media or elsewhere, where's the best places for them to go?
2: Uh, Twitter's probably the best place, which is just at Atalia Whiteley. I'm there most days kind of just talking about random stuff as you do <laughs> on Twitter. I, <laughs> I don't think it's good for anything else other than that books, that kind of stuff, you know, funnily enough. Um so yeah, and i do I do have a, a website and a blog right, which you can get uh, that's on WordPress you can get just by searching searching my name so
1: Great. well, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. thank you. thank you ever so much
0: Thank you, alia again for uh, taking the time to chat to us about. Uh, not only the loosening skin, but also your other work as well. I just remembered, actually, that I think I'm going to be completely wrong. Did we very briefly discuss the arrival of missives in our BSFA episode about two years ago?
1: Yes, I think we did because it was on the it was on the list for uh, the BSFA awards yeah. that year. Yeah, we did. So we're going to conclude with a bit more of a discussion that's going to move us into spoilery territory so if you haven't read the book yet and your interest has been piqued in it and you think you want to go out and read it without knowing anything more than we've already discussed now is the time to switch off because we're going to be talking about some of the twists and turns that happen in the book right now
0: yeah but come back at the very end of the podcast because we'll be telling you what we're covering next month (laughs)
1: Okay, so were you surprised by the turn that the story took as Rose starts to figure out exactly what happened to Max's skins?
0: Yes. <laughs> um, I think character like Max, you kind of are wondering what his deal is the whole time. Hmm. And it all becomes actually, I think, quite dark as you start to understand how Max's... Well, not his obsession with Rose per se, but his obsession with love itself and the idea of it has driven him to do something which is bizarre and ultimately violating of a character whom he describes as somebody who he loves and cannot kind of comprehend the drastic nature of his actions towards.
1: Yeah, it's as if he's... You, you see from the beginning that he's he's fixated on the idea that he can keep as he is. Mm. Um, you know, he's taking drugs to try and prevent malts from coming on, even though the drugs are not on the, the market mm. yet. It's potentially slightly the sign of a narcissist, maybe, mm. that someone has decided that they are the best version of themselves they could ever be and they never, ever, ever want to change ever again because they're wonderful as they are. Um, But that means that he can't comprehend how other people are okay with changing, or that other people are okay with just leaving a life behind, leaving him behind, even. You know, if he's someone who is surrounded by paid flunkies, maybe he has started to believe that anyone that he wants in his life can be put in his life, if only... right money or the right drugs the right set of circumstances can be brought about he can make that happen irrespective of how they might feel about it he thinks that he can what he sees is fixing other people so that they are the person he wants them to be he can't envisage himself changing so he can't abide the idea of other people changing does that make sense
0: yeah and what he ends up doing to rose actually emphasises another thing which I really liked about the book that I forgot to mention earlier, which was the way that... Well, it's not just the idea that, you know, love is essentially seemingly part of, of somebody's skin and something that can be shed, but the way that the shedding process itself is described, the book does go into very striking sort of body horror where it very graphically describes... The nature of what happens during a molt and the feeling of actually holding your own malted skin and the feelings you get from from touching it as well and what and that others can get from it it's kind of confounded even more as you get to that moment where max reintroduces rose to her old skin there's something about trying to put something back to something that max is happy with and in a moment of i think complete clarity for me it was suddenly like you got a real insight into how warped his vision actually is i think i mean it's a moment where rather than having a very subtle build-up to all these things it's a very sudden moment and you realize that he's put the person he loves apparently, in this position in the hope that he can immortalize their relationship without any regard for Rose. And I think that changes my perspective on Max's motivations, especially in the early parts of the second half of the novel, when he's trying to engage Mickey in in order to discuss whether he can interview him for the film he's making and things. It becomes more about a guy who's obsessed with something that doesn't exist in the world that he is in Mm. you know this is an alternate version of our world with some very important changes that he is resistant to and it does play up this kind of Cronenberg-esque level of body horror and weirdness and strangeness that at times is very jarring but not in a way that takes you out of the novel. It's something that just kind of shocks you as a reader because you realise these things are, in this world, extremely bizarre. You get this very strange feeling of, you know, what you may have suspected about some slightly crazy, narcissistic, reclusive film star and how he might behave in his private life. Uh, It turns out that may actually be the way he is (laughs) baby.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because it, you can kind of compare that to another character who also at times takes incredibly drastic and violent action when she considers it to be the correct thing to do in her view and therefore the correct thing to do, which is Petra. Mm. Because as the story unfolds and you find out that you know, she appears to have killed quite mm. quite a lot of people without apparently any remorse because she felt that that deserved to happen. That whatever they were doing, you know, for example the 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 skin factory that they find at one point and then later on where she tries to burn down the Sascutian warehouse. It's it's that, you know, she has taken the decision that she is deciding for everybody that this is the correct thing to do.
0: Yeah, and one thing I like about Petra's character is she's somebody who, well, is the closest thing to a constant in Rose's life during Mm. the first half of the novel. And I like the way that that relationship is something that provides some foundation for a character who is going through these malts so frequently. Um, It's nice that there's a, there is a sense of camaraderie there and a mutual respect, even though at times you get a sense that in Well, certain malts, I think, make Rose slightly afraid of a character like Petra, who is that cold. And at times, this is the same person who will always look out for her, give her a job, keep in touch with her. Yeah, I think, I think it's just interesting that, that there are aspects of people's relationships that people do go back to, which emphasises it even more when Max wants to set up essentially a very elaborate plan to coerce rose against her will into a relationship that works well for him but is completely wrong for everyone around him Um, most notably rose who is who is targeted in this fashion and it really turns the whole thing but i know that there's that moment when rose realizes that the skins were not stolen Mm. um, and it's part of a plan by max and you think this is going to go in a direction of either a confrontation which she might walk away from or given that it's only about you know a third of the way into the book or so you think actually maybe something else is going to take place here especially with all the time jumps that are taking place and the fact that it goes down this very dark turn of having somebody very resolutely going i figured out the mystery then you realize that the mystery is never what the story was about Mm. it's about her finding herself drawn into a situation that she could not have fully imagined and the fact that Max has these enablers who are helping it all to take place just makes it all the more sinister it's a very tragic thing to watch but at the same time the fact that we know that Rose is going to survive and Max is going to pass makes you feel like ultimately whether there's justice or not Rose is able to move on and I think that's an important aspect of the story, that it's it's Rose moving on not because of a molt or something which changes the way she feels about things, but the trauma is something that she can move on from, but it's still part of her life. And it's it's nothing that's clearly shied away from. I think it's interesting that you see how all these characters carry on interacting with these events long after they've happened they're not isolated they have repercussions that go throughout your life and permeate you know the transitions that might exist when you molt that should arguably allow you to move on from these events
1: so i think uh, we can wrap up with the second set of comments that we had in from a listener which is from michael pomerantz he says oh well what have i agreed to <laughs> What do you say about this engrossing and perplexing and tiny little book? Of course, thanks so much to Bex and Easton for inviting me to play along. I've never been in a book club before. So there's a lot of really important characters. Clearly Rose is the most important character in the first part and Mick is the most important character in the second part. But what goes on with much lesser characters is also of vital importance, particularly Taylor, Howard and Nicky. I was a bit frustrated I didn't have more time to get to know them. There were amazing descriptions, very short, where a great deal of atmosphere was communicated in a roundabout and very profound way. I'm particularly thinking of the padded restaurant menu with the tassel and the setup descriptions for the warehouse sequence. That chapter in particular is a stunningly horrifying piece of writing. Rose getting sewn back into her old skin is also some first-rate nightmare fuel I will not soon forget. I did want Max to be more evil, more of a portal to the ninth layer of hell. It reminded me of Jason Isaacs in The OA on Netflix, which is totally bananas and awesome. The banal evil of casually treating other human beings as property, to be tortured if necessary, is a bit more sinister in The OA than what we get with Max, who is so rich in such a basket case. I wanted Rose to stab him in the eye. I really enjoyed Ms. Whiteley's prose. There are so many uses of skin and clothes to weave in with the central theme, But also play with the ideas in a different context. Rose's reaction to wearing clothes after her induced molt, and Nicky wearing a shabby unisex robe with frayed sleeves at the end of the book. There is a danger of just hitting the reader on the head with this stuff, and Whiteley just kept finding new ways to do the trick, each time prompting a different way of thinking about skin. So I guess I just wanted more. The meditations on love, the role of Suscutin in commerce and society, celebrity-obsessed population, this story could be turned into a whole series of books. I'll take a book just about Petra. I really did enjoy the recommendation and will look forward to checking out more of Ms Whiteley's writing. Now, perhaps most of all, I can't wait to hear the discussion from Neeson and everyone else.
0: Thanks, Michael, for those lovely in-depth comments. Uh, we're really glad you enjoyed it and chose to read it during our book club month as well, uh, which is really nice. And we hope that others... Join in for next month for our next book club.
1: Hmm. Um, I, I particularly like picking up on the way that uh, clothes and descriptions of clothes are woven into the story. So beautifully subtle, the way that it's done. But the, the connection between them and skin and, and the way that they can be used to describe almost the way that, that someone is, uh, is changing or becoming is very lyrical. So with that, uh, we draw to the end of the very first Keks Nail Book Club. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, and we'd like to especially thank our listeners, Chris and Michael, for sending in some comments, and especially Alia Whiteley, who um, joined us for that wonderful interview earlier in the episode. Yes,
1: yeah, so all that remains now is to announce what book we're going to be doing next month. And it's going to be Paris Adrift by E.J. Swift.
0: Yep, so that's our book that you can read along with us during March, and we'll be putting a podcast up about that at the very end of the month, or the very beginning of April. Um, so send us your comments if you've already read it, or if you're reading it during the month as well. Um, we'd love to hear what you think.
1: If you head to our website, which is uh you'll find a post that has links to Ali Whiteley's blog and her presence on social media if you want to find out more about her writing. And you can also track us down on social media on Twitter at TFCAA or on Facebook at the page Time Kicks Now.
0: But for now, from both of us signing off.
1: Be, be seeing, seeing you.
0: you.